Welcome nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up Rockabilly track. Now finalizing 2022 report. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling and more. ANS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, this week's podcast, it's our 2022 year in review. Listen as we count down our favorites in TV, horror, gaming, wrestling, and film. But before we get started, we've got a big announcement to help celebrate our five-year anniversary. That's right. The Amazing Nerd Show is now officially on Patreon. And with that, we've got a brand new exclusive show, the best and worst of the week. I mean, this year, thanks to you listeners, the show has continued to grow and thrive. So we thought it was time to expand and bring you more content on a weekly basis. And Patreon just felt like the best way to do it. So you can find our Patreon link in the show notes. And when you're there, we will have three different tiers for fans to subscribe to. So if you choose tier one, you're choosing to support the show. With that, you get our undying thanks and a monthly shout out on the podcast. Choosing tier two will get you access to our Patreon exclusive best and worst of the week podcast a show where we each choose our personal highlights and lowlights in nerd culture for the week. And of course, you'll get everything included in tier one. Lastly, if you choose tier three, and this is the big one, you receive a show producer credit in the weekly podcast notes and you get access to at least two additional bonus podcasts monthly that will feature everything from reviews to countdowns and more. In addition, you'll also get our amazing nerd show thank you swag set featuring stickers, magnets, and pins. Plus, of course, everything featured in the first two tiers. And to kick things off for the last two months, we have already recorded seven episodes of our best and worst of the week. So yes, there's already plenty of content sitting there waiting for you to dive into. So make sure to head over to Patreon and subscribe to the tier that best suits you. And as always, we thank you for your continued support. And now for the Amazing Nerd Show's 2022 Year in Review Countdowns. All right, so before we get started, I don't know about you, Christian, but I thought like 2022 overall was a pretty amazing year. I mean, honestly, even with some of like my most anticipated films and shows kind of, I don't know, disappointing me. Uh, I'm looking at you, Thor, Love and Thunder. Uh, <laughs> uh, there was such an overabundance of like quality storytelling that like I would really hold this year up against any. I mean, honestly, it was a lot of the things I didn't expect to be anything worthwhile that took me by surprise the most. So I'm I had a good year, at least. I mean, especially like on the TV side of things, because mm-hmm. like even though like early mid year, we were like finally back in theaters um i think what stands out to me mostly was like how many like great tv series we got like it i I don't know like i i felt like they like outshined what we're getting on the big screen in many ways uh and i know like this isn't a hot take or anything like that like you know the quality of tv has been going up like throughout the years slowly and sure, but surely, um, but like as a kid from the 80s, uh, there was just such a vast difference, uh, like quality wise between TV and film. Uh-huh. I mean, the lines nowadays between TV and film are getting more and more blurred with, you know, some of the best storytelling, like really taking place on the small screen. Yeah, it's because they can use this long form storytelling to really stretch things out and, you know, get more in depth with characters than ever before, while also still, as you're saying, 
graphics wise, things are on a whole new level for TV that I've never seen before. Um, and I'm especially with like the streaming services, you know, when you look at like what we got with things like Stranger Things and stuff that's going on in Disney Plus, it's it's insane what you can get now on a show. Yeah, and I think a big part of it is more and more artists are attracted to the medium because of the upgrade in quality. And like you were saying, you know, just what a series gives you when it comes to long form storytelling, like all the different possibilities. Like back in the day, like you had your movie stars and you had your television stars and there wasn't much crossover. Like when uh, a film star would like, you know, star in a TV show, it was almost like they were slumming. Um, uh-huh. That's not the case anymore. I mean, we have some of the biggest like movie stars in the world also have their own series. But back to what I was saying, like, I think if we did like an overall list and threw everything together onto like one countdown, I really think a lot of the TV series that came out this year would actually rank higher than the films on my list. No, TV definitely reigned supreme this past year. And I don't know if it's just an age thing, because I mean, one of my favorite things in the world is to go to the theaters um, but nowadays I'm almost just as content to sit on my couch and like binge <laughs> a good series. So, uh, but I don't know. That's just me. I mean, I would watch a series at the theater if I could. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> could you imagine the amount of money you'd spend on like concessions oh. though? <laughs> I can't I can right, imagine so before we jump into our countdowns, just a quick disclaimer, uh, You know, these countdowns are just based on what we watched personally this year. And guess what? We didn't watch everything. (laughs) So relax if, you know, one of your favorites aren't on our list. Uh, You know, I mean, and these aren't full reviews, by the way. Like, you can look in the back catalog and find those. I mean, the countdown serves more of a just kind of a brief summary on why, you know, something made our list. And that's it. Um, if you disagree, hey, you know what? That's okay. You can make your own countdown. And if you want, share it with us at Amazing Nerd Show on all your favorite social media platforms. Uh, because you know what? We're always looking for good conversation or recommendations. But anyway, without further ado, let's jump right into our 2022 year in review. Warning, today's episode contains very minor spoilers for the year of 2022. In TV, gaming, horror, and movies. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. Now counting down Damon's best TV shows of 2022. Alright, quick honorable mentions to Wednesday, Miss Marvel, and All of Us Are Dead. All awesome shows that almost made my list. Number 5. Moon Knight. I can't tell the difference between life and dreams. So Moon Knight is somehow the only MCU series to make my countdown this year, and honestly, it almost didn't. But that's more indicative of just how many quality shows we got this year. Like, I fell in love with the show pretty early on and just wasn't prepared on, like, how deep we were going to go into Moon Knight's origin straight from the get-go. But out of all the MCU shows, it really felt like it had the biggest scope by far. I mean, the helter-skelter nature of the series and the character 
allowed Marvel to take more risks, and even as a fan of the character in the comics, I was never quite sure where the show was going at times. You add that along with Oscar Isaac's fantastic performance, and you get a really fun, exhilarating watch. Here's to hoping we get a season two. Number four, Peacemaker. Have you ever heard of a guy named Peacemaker? No. He is a trained killer. We've got trouble with that maniac. Go! What are you waiting for? That thing better not crap back there. Can't house train an eagle, dude. Not without stealing its soul. So Peacemaker was the biggest surprise on my list, but the more I think about it, I'm not sure why. I mean, in my book, James Gunn has just knocked it out of the park with everything he's touched in the superhero genre, and Peacemaker is just the perfect muse for his sensibilities as an artist. I mean, he's another extremely damaged character that at first look seems unlovable. That's until, of course, Gunn shows you what makes him tick. So by the end of the season, he ends up being one of the most endearing characters on any show going, warts and all. Peacemaker is one of the reasons I'm not too worried about Gunn's new job as CEO of DC Studios. Because, I mean, if he can make you somehow care and watch a show about a D-level character like, you know, Peacemaker, imagine what he could do with, you know, more of the established names in the DC universe. Number three, Andor. To steal from the Empire? You just walk in like you belong? They're so proud of themselves. So fat and satisfied. They can't imagine that someone like me would ever get inside their house. Tony Gilroy's Andor is all about diving into the minutia of the rebellion and putting a face on its unsung heroes. I mean, somehow without a lightsaber in sight, we get one of the most riveting Star Wars stories to date. This just adds an extra layer to the lore that enhances the entire franchise. And that's all because we see the horror that the Empire is causing and the sacrifice it's going to take to bring them down. Steeped in incredible performances, it's almost impossible not to get entrenched into the series. As a Star Wars fan, Andor's the show I didn't know I wanted, but desperately needed. Number two. The Boys Season 3. Homelander lost his mind. What's this? Makes you a soup for 24 hours. You're gonna need it. So every season, The Boys finds a way to outdo itself. I mean, from the opening scene where we get the popular Ant-Man Thanos meme basically come to life, you knew we were in store for a crazy ride. But the show is just so much more than just a collection of outrageous moments. It's the storylines that always ends up taking the piss out of what's currently going on in the world that really drive it. Homelander is one of the most terrifying villains on any screen, and this season made him even more dangerous than ever. The Boys has that rare can't-miss factor that shows only dream of, and that's why season three came in at number two on my list. Number one, Stranger Things season four. Your friends are not prepared for this fight. Hawkins will fall. My friends need me. You're not ready. 
So in my opinion, Stranger Things delivered the best season since the first one this year. The kids are literally growing up in front of her eyes, and so is the show. I mean, this season was by far the group's biggest test yet, as we discover the origin of evil that's been tormenting our teens since the beginning. Cranking up the horror and paying more than just a subtle homage to Freddy Krueger, Valak is a worthy villain for the group to go up against, and feels like a real threat. I mean, one of the things that makes the show great is even with the giant cast, you care about every character, so no one feels expendable, which is scary to think, especially the dark way the season ended. I just have a feeling in the final season, we're in store for some serious heartbreak. But you know what? I'm totally here for it. Now counting down Christian's best TV shows of 2022. Number 5. Stranger Things Season 4. He's not going to stop. Not until he's taken everyone. So for me, Stranger Things made it to number five this year. I was quite impressed by the franchise's pacing this season, as they gave us some of their longest episodes yet, getting practically feature-length films for each episode, and yet delving out time between its separate storylines in a way that had me on the edge of my seat for most of its 13 hours of show this year. It was truly the at-home summer blockbuster experience that sets up what should be an intense finale to the main story, which I have to agree with Damon will probably be pretty heartbreaking as there's quite a few characters that could possibly get killed off in the next season. But here's to them sticking the landing after this incredible season. Number 4. Euphoria Season 2 you know I need your love. As soon as I saw her, I was just immediately afraid to lose her. When did you relapse? You got that hold so, Rue, the $64,000 question is, what's in the suitcase? Euphoria is a show that has pretty much become the bar for drama series, in my opinion, as it excels on story performances and visuals as, you know, A24's unique stamp on filmmaking is really pressed into every shot of this beautifully done show. While Rue may be the series main character and Zendaya kills it in this role, she is, you know, supported by a ton of amazing performances that definitely took the spotlight this season. Most importantly, the Howard sisters stories from both Cassie and Lexi definitely seemed to be the main focus for most fans. As Lexi for me was kind of an afterthought after the first season, but this time around her arc really shined and was, you know, the perfect bow to another chaotic season. Euphoria is a must-watch HBO series. Number 3, Sandman. Your waking world is shaped by dreams. Dreams and nightmares that I create and which I must control. Honestly, thank God Netflix went all in on Neil Gaiman's Sandman, as this series hit just the right note to adapt the dark tale from book to screen. It was a task many believed would be too hard to actually accomplish, but the series was able to really get that sense of the passage of time with an endless being, and in doing so made this series really feel different to everything else that came out this year. It was really a gamble on Netflix's part, especially with how high the budget was, but now with a second season on the way, it's cleared that paid off for them. And I'm happy to see more come out of this, which is kind of something rare lately with these Netflix adaptations of anything. Number two, The Boys season two. The whole point of what we do 
is that no one should have that kind of power. We're all we've got. It's up to us. By the heroes and this series has yet to miss a top five of ours since its debut. Each year we get a season that I think can't possibly surpass the last. And yet here we are with more madness than ever as the impossible odds of fighting a guy like Homelander continues to deliver in every single way. What I was most impressed by this season was how well the writers brought in these new characters that didn't really feel shoehorned in at all. This makes me even more excited for the series as the cast continues to expand in future seasons as we've seen for the casting news for the upcoming season. But to speak more on that, Jensen Eccles was a great inclusion to the cast and I just really look forward to what's next for the boys. Number one, Andor. Cassian Andor. The Empire is choking us so slowly. We're starting not to notice. What I'm asking is this. Wouldn't you rather give it all to something real? Building a rebellion that can stand against the evils of the Empire is paved and stacked with the bricks of many lives, as we were shown in Andor, a series that absolutely blew all my expectations for a Star Wars adventure out of the water. All without, you know, lifting a single rock or sparking up a blade, as Damon said before. This gritty, grounded tale stripped a lot of what makes Star Wars the space odyssey that it is completely away and added a level of depth to the universe unlike anything we had seen before from this franchise. With a different tone and pace driven by incredible performances that kept even an ADH-riddled brain like mine hooked into every episode, it's easy for me to say that this was the best thing that came out this year. I mean, for me, looking at everything else that came out this year, you know, having a universe and brand that's so established like Star Wars and really just doing your own thing with it that really goes away from anything that we saw with the Skywalker saga. It was just truly impressive to see what they were able to pull off without bastardizing Star Wars. And I hope with time, people will come to love and or the way that we have on this show so that more creators can come out there and put out new types of things with Star Wars just like this. Now counting down Damon's best horror films of 2022. So it was once again another solid year for my favorite genre of films. I think what I loved most about 2022 was the variety horror fans are finally getting at the box office. You add that up with some of the films in the genre being amongst the most talked about with audiences and critics alike, and I'd say that 2022 was another milestone year. Now, every year I end up doing a separate horror movie countdown simply because I'm biased, uh, and the genre would just take over any film list I try to put together. So I kind of keep things separate. I mean, if you want proof, here's a large list of my honorable mentions. Uh, Barbarian, You'll Never Be Alone, Scream, Orphan First Kill, and Resurrection. So with that being said, let's move on to my countdown. Number five, Smile. Hi, I know you're nervous. I just want to have a chat. I'm seeing something no one else can see except for me. It's smiling at me. No! Oh my God! Smile is a simple but effective film that doesn't reinvent the genre. Instead, it just reminds us what we love about it. 
jam-packed with tons of creepy moments and well-designed jump scares, the film's premise plus its relentlessness gave me some strong early 2000s J-horror vibes, which really ended up scratching a fun nostalgic itch I didn't even know I had. Number 4. The Black Phone Who are you? You know all our names? It doesn't work. Hang it up. Black Phone is an atmospheric marriage between the supernatural and true crime horror. Once again, Scott Derrickson teams up with Ethan Hawke to introduce us to The Grabber, a sadistic monster prowling the streets of a small town for his next victim. Derrickson doesn't rely on tropes for scares here, instead choosing to lean more into the mood and the darkness of the story, and of course, Hawk's performance, who once again reminds audiences why he's one of the most underrated actors working today. Number 3. Nope. What's a bad miracle? They got work for that. In Nope, Jordan Peele channels his inner Spielberg and gives us a family in crisis when, of course, a mystery shows up in the sky. This is Peele's most ambitious work yet, with scene after scene of pulse pounding action and suspense. He does this all the while juggling multiple themes and messages, with the strongest being our voyeuristic nature as a society and how, through media, we process tragedy. At least that's what I got out of it, but that's what's great about Peele's films. He doesn't hold your hand, and he allows you to interpret his work for yourself. Armed with plenty to say, that's what makes him one of the most interesting filmmakers today. Number 2. The Sadness Unapologetic and unforgettable, The Sadness is one of the most brutal, vile films I've seen in a long, long time. A plague causes the infected to become homicidal maniacs and unleash absolute carnage and debauchery onto the world. While the film is filled with plenty of shock and awe, it's more than just pure spectacle. Because the most terrifying part of the film isn't the gore and the violence, it's the bleak message it delivers about where we're at as a society today. Number 1. X and Pearl Caring for your family during these times is admirable. But you only get one take at this life. If only they would just die. Pardon? Nothing. Yes, I know I'm cheating, but it's almost impossible for me to separate these two films. I mean, having two chapters of a trilogy coming out in the same year is pretty unheard of. And I still have no idea how director Ty West was able to pull it off, but somehow he did. 
especially when you factor in just how distinctively stylized both movies really are. I mean, Axe and Pearl serve as just a love letter to cinema during both their separate eras that the films take place in. But the real driving force in both movies is Mia Goth's manic performance. The Pearl character is terrifying in both, just in very different ways. But with that being said, at the end of the day, the message in both films remain the same. It's all about the horror of living in regrets. Pearl and X are a cautionary tale on how unacquainted dreams can destroy a person. I mean, maybe not to the extremes it did Pearl, but I mean, that's the fun of horror, right? And now it's time for Christian's Top Games of 2022. Alright gamers, it's time for my Top 3 Games of 2022. Just as a reminder, I have not played everything that came out, so this is still a personal list just like the films and TV were. The main reason I'm bringing it up again is because I can already, I can tell that there there could be some grumbling for my number three, but I have to give the team over at Criterion some credit this year, as for number three is Need for Speed Unbound. Yeah, you ready to do this? Let's do it! Maybe there's a bit of hometown bias as this game is based in a like fake version of Chicago and I often fantasize about drifting on LSD. And if you don't know what LSD means, it's Lakeshore Drive. I'm not talking about drifting and doing drugs. Anyway, this edition of Need for Speed has been you know, the most fun I've had with the game since Need for Speed's soft reboot in 2015. That really went for this like more underground style. The story per usual is a little rudimentary, but the cop chases this time around feel like a genuine challenge and has me balancing you know risk and reward each level and race more than I ever have in the past. For me this is an overall improvement to everything that they put in Need for Speed Heat. Plus I'm a weeb so of course I like the anime 3D art graphics that they've put into this game. So I say if you've stayed away from Need for Speed for a while I definitely say give this one a try if you enjoy arcade race games. But all right moving on number two is none other than God of War Ragnarok. This story so far has hit me even harder than last game as we spend more time with Atreus and Kratos separately and feel the strength of their familial bond more than ever. The combat is just as intuitive and fun as its predecessor and I've enjoyed its companion options and puzzles. You know, just ignore how frustrated I get on stream as I just suck at puzzles in general. But the villains have been what I've enjoyed the most as we meet these Norse gods and see their family dynamics. They really took me by surprise with how they acted with one another and with our character. You know, I still haven't reached the climax of the game, but just the but just from the hours of getting lost in side missions, puzzles, and main story, it's all been enough for me to easily put this as my number two game of the year. Santa Monica has put a ton of heart into this game, a ton of features. If you were avoiding God of War because of those first three games, this is a completely different experience with these Norse gods. And I definitely think you could find something that will resonate with you with these two games. And it's definitely been worth the purchase of a PS5 to play. But all right, my number one game of 2022 is gonna have to be Elden Ring. Make of thyselves 
that which he desire, be it a lord, be it a god. But should ye fail to become aught at all, ye will be forsaken, amounting only to sacrifices. You know, ever since the Game Awards, I have been, you know, trying to think of an experience this year that topped over Elden Ring. And while God of War is an incredible story game, it just doesn't equate to the massive world you can lose yourself in that From Software developed in Elden Ring. Now, without the bounds of linear levels, From Software created an insane world with treacherous bosses and bits of lore in every corner for you to discover and conquer in whatever way best fits your playstyle. I mean, you can hack and slash, you can use summons, you can be an untouchable wizard that just kills your enemies from afar. This game just simply has so much freedom to be the tarnished of your dreams. I mean, it's been wild to see what people have been able to do with their characters and how it affects their gameplay, game style, and how they you know interact with the world in general, just from a player to player standpoint. I mean, you just can't deny the efforts from software placed in this game. And that's why it's my number one game of 2022. You'll be seeing me play even more of it in 2023 after we complete a couple other games. That's the only reason why I ever stopped playing Elden Ring is because I just needed to make more time for some of these big games coming out like God of War. Which if you're interested, we're still playing God of War on Twitch. So make sure to stop by Twitch every single weekend when we are live. We should be getting into Horizon Forbidden West pretty soon. I'm debating if I should wait till I'm done with God of War or if I should just start playing it. But I also have to say, I probably would have put Horizon Forbidden West in my top three if I had gotten a chance to play with it because after finishing the first game I absolutely loved that first experience and I can't wait to get into the second game so we'll be moving on with that pretty soon so make sure to go over to Twitch today and follow us and now for the amazing nerd shows best films of 2022 and now our feature presentation now counting down Damon's best movies of 2022. So a quick honorable mention goes to The Northman. While it didn't reach the high bar necessarily that Robert Eggers set for himself with movies like The Witch and The Lighthouse, this Viking revenge tale is still inspired filmmaking and deserved at least a nod on my list. Number 5 Black Panther Wakanda Forever His people not call him general or king they called him kukul khan the feather serpent god killing him will risk eternal war he's coming for the surface world Wakanda Forever is a wonderful bow on the MCU's Phase 4. The film is a touching tribute to the late Chadwick Boseman, as in story, Wakanda mourns the loss of their fallen king T'Challa. Like most of Marvel's latest phase, the film is both about grief and legacy as we watch T'Challa's loved ones struggle to pick up the pieces. Regardless of the movie being a bit overpacked, Ryan Coogler still manages to deliver on an emotional level in a way only a few movies in the subgenre ever have giving fans a lovely remembrance and at the same time allowing them to move forward. Number 4. Glass Onion Ladies and gentlemen, 
Do you expect it? The mystery. Get your hand off of that. You expected a puzzle. But for one person on this island, this is not a game. So this might be a case of recency bias, but Glass Onion is one of the most satisfying film experiences I've had all year. The movie has a ridiculously fun cast of characters with plenty of twists and turns to make you feel dizzy. Really showing Ryan Johnson is making this long dormant genre his own. While Glass Onion ranks lower on my list, it's such a light breezy watch, I have a feeling over the years it might end up being the film I revisit the most, and I think a film's rewatchability should count for something. Number 3. Prey There's something out there. I'm coming with you. You can't. I'm trying to protect you. Protect me from what? It's time. So Prey is absolutely the best Predator film since the original. The movie takes things back beyond the basics as we see a young indigenous woman defend her tribe against an invading alien armed with nothing but an axe and her drive to prove herself a worthy warrior. Packed with some breathtaking cinematography and well-crafted action sequences, it's a crime that audiences didn't get to see this movie on the big screen. But regardless, Prey is a step in the right direction, hopefully helping to breathe new life into the much-beleaguered franchise. Number 2. The Batman Fear is a tool. But when that light hits the sky, it's not just a call. It's a warning. Matt Reeves, the Batman, is the grittiest, most grounded look at the character on film yet. And my god, I loved every second of it. Part of what I enjoyed so much was finally getting to explore the Batman's detective side, as he matches wits with the Riddler, who feels more like a villain out of a David Fincher film, but you know what? It works perfectly for that character. And the choice of setting the story in the very early stages of the Dark Knight's vigilante career was just a brilliant one because it will allow us to watch the character actually grow throughout the films into the fully formed hero we've come to know and love throughout the years. Matt Reeves managed to give me everything I wanted from a Batman film and I can't wait to see what he has in store for us next. Number 1. Everything Everywhere All at Once Now you may only see a pile of receipts but I see a story. <laughs> I can see where this story is going. It does not look good. What's happening? So Everything Everywhere All at Once is my number one film of the year, and honestly, it wasn't even close. 
Uh, this beautifully bizarre masterpiece is a moving family drama disguised as a genre film. Bold and original, it's the kind of film that will influence filmmakers for generations to come. An amazing, chaotic journey about a fractured family finding their way back to each other. Somehow out multiverse madness Marvel this year. Off-kiltered and strange in all the right ways, I mean, if the completely insane action sequences don't do it for you, the heartwarming performances will. Everything, everywhere, all at once is next-level storytelling and deserves its flowers on the top of my list. Now counting down Christian's best movies of 2022. Number 5. Prey. It knows how to hunt. I know how to survive. Prey in its simplicity was the answer this franchise had been missing for quite a while. A tale of two hunters just going at it, captured beautifully by Dan Thrachenberg and company. Amber Midthunder's performance against this highly advanced Predator rejuvenated my love for Predator, and I hope to see this style of film continue in the franchise, maybe even bring us a better Alien vs Predator film in the future. But I mean, that's just my hopes, right? Number 4. The Menu You shouldn't be here tonight. You, my dear guests, are not the common man. Isn't that right? Yes, sir! Is he gonna keep doing that? What happens inside this room is meaningless compared to what happens outside. Yes, Mark Millad served up, you know, one of the most entertaining films I'd seen this year. The menu was the amuse-bouche portioned horror flick that gives you just enough to be satisfying, but still leaving you wanting more. It's a fun ride with great cinematography that's only made better by Anya Taylor-Joy and Ralph Fiennes' performances. That honestly has me looking out for Mark's name on more projects. I mean, he's mostly known for directing on shows. Either way, I say get you a bite of the menu at your earliest convenience, as I don't want to spoil the fun for you right here. It's really something you gotta watch on your own for the very first time. Number 3. The Woman King My king, the Europeans wish to conquer us. They will not stop until the whole of Africa is theirs. We must fight back for our people. Asking me to take them to war. war. Some things are worth fighting for. One of the best action films to come out this year with its fictionalized version of the Kingdom of Dahomey and their Ajoji warriors who helped inspire the Black Panthers, you know, Dora Milaje. This film is Viola Davis at her best in probably her most badass role yet as we watch her lead this, you know, awesome group of female warriors to slaughtering slavers. Lashana Lynch, after, you know, her cold reception to the Bond franchise, delivered a scene-stealing performance as Izoji that should really be putting her future roles on your radar. It's an epic film with hard-hitting action that will get your blood pumping by its conclusion. Number 2. The Batman Hear everything they say, ain't you? Maybe we're not so different. Who are you under there? I 
Some vengeance. From the moment the Batmobile roared in my Dolby Theater experience, I was in love with the Batman. This film gave me big nostalgia for some of my favorite runs for the Dark Knight in the comics because of how they handled that more detective side of the character and his overall mental state. The growth of Batman in this film was just not something I was expecting to get, but brought a better appreciation for this year two style story as it gives his character so much more room to grow through its sequels. Matt Reeves' visuals and cinematography as well are what make me just want to sit and rewatch this over and over. You know, right now I have so much hope for the future of Pattinson as Batman and can't wait to explore this version of Gotham further in its spin-offs and sequels. Honestly, for anyone who is a Batman fan that hasn't given this a try yet, put all your qualms at the door and watch this. It is truly a great experience for a Batman film. Number one, everything everywhere all at once. Across the multiverse, I've seen thousands of Evelyns. Their emotions, even the skills. There's a great evil spreading throughout the many verses. And you may be your only chance of stopping it. Don't make me fight you. I am really good. I don't believe you. From its first trailer, I was super interested in this film. Michelle Yeoh in a multiversal action comedy was what I really thought I was going to be getting here. And while there is plenty of action and plenty of fun, I was totally caught off guard by its deep family story that these wild shenanigans really just play as a mask for. Our main family unit of Michelle Yeoh, Ki, Hugh Kwan, and Stephanie Hsu put on these incredibly heartwarming performances that just hit me harder than anything else in the last few years. Ki-Hu Kwan was a scene stealer in this and one whose career should be skyrocketing after this film, along with Stephanie Hsu as well. And while I've said this ad nauseum to people in my life, if you haven't seen everything everywhere all at once, you simply have to, as I just think that there is something in this for just about anyone in this world. I loved the wild simplicity to some of the effects that they were doing, some of the practical effects. They just did things that even, you know, these big blockbuster films could never achieve in a much smaller budget as well. You could really tell the love and heart that they put into this story. I couldn't recommend it higher to anyone. This is definitely well deserving of being the number one of both mine and Damon's list. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. Hey you, got bush? Well, you definitely do if you haven't tried the best products from our sponsor today, Manscaped. Taking control of your bush is important. These products are so good, you're going to be showing pride in your new bush-free yard. It's a fact that you'll have the best-kept nutsack on the cul-de-sac, so save big and be the most hygienic version of yourself by using our discount code 20NERDSHOW for 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Listeners, you know I don't got bush because Manscaped helps keep my rocket raccoon high oh, and tight. Yeah. Whether you're looking to go bald like an eagle or just in need of a safe trim, Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game. Listeners, the grooming package I highly recommend is the Performance Package 4.0. That's because inside the package is the Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is a bush's worst nightmare. This trimmer is designed to reduce grooming accidents and shave hair on loose skin thanks to its ceramic blades and advanced skin safe technology. 
No need for night vision goggles, this trimmer has a LED light to allow you to mow the lawn in the dark. It's basic landscaping. When you trim the hedges, the tree stands taller. The second best tool in the performance package is the Weed Whacker. This fine-tuned nose and ear hair trimmer will make sure your nasty nose pubes are under control. Instantly add some pep to your step with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Spray-On Testy Toner. With a performance package purchase, you get two free gifts, a shed travel bag and the patterned high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped boxers. They have a bunch of other products on their website to help you maximize your confidence and grooming game. So listeners get 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. Kate Bush may be trending at the moment, but your bush needs some help. That's right, so make sure you're running up that hill and get 20% off and free shipping at Manscaped.com by using our code 20NerdShow. It's time to level up your grooming game with the ultimate bushwhacking tools from Manscaped. Well, Christian, uh, simply put, this was a batshit crazy year. Probably the craziest year I've ever experienced as a wrestling fan. Um, Just top to bottom, like, you know, all the huge news stories that broke and just everything that happened, like, in between the ropes and outside of the ropes. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't know. Like it felt like weekly we were dealing with another like, you know, huge story. Um Jesus Christ, like we had like the rise of CM Punk and the fall of CM Punk in like uh-huh. a nine month period in eight. <laughs> <laughs> we had fucking Vince McMahon, you know, being forced to retire. And now it looks like he's returning, but we won't yeah. get into that this week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we had Cody Rhodes fucking leaving AEW for WWE and like debuting like on the grandest stage of the mall at WrestleMania and actually like seeming like he's going to be pushed as a main eventer and possibly someone who could like dethrone Roman Reigns as champion. Uh <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, it's shit that we would never, like, predict even in our wildest dreams. Like, you know, if we were to do predict, I don't, did we do predictions at the end of the year, last year? I think we, maybe maybe we do it on the preview show? I don't know. I guarantee, like, we didn't pick anything nearly no. as outlandish <laughs> as what actually happened this year. We just usually predict like some big you know moments like, in, oh, in wrestling. Maybe not- Kota Ibushi will show up <laughs> on AEW TV. I mean, we had Forbidden Door happen. Uh-huh. Like, I mean, just huge things that almost feel like an afterthought now. Because um, you, I mean, you think about it. Like this time last year, if you told us that, oh, you know, AEW and New Japan are going to have a crossover pay per view, like we'd be like over the moon. And now, Mm -hmm. like, I had to be reminded that happened this week (laughs) just because so much has been going on. Um, But, yeah, man, it's been a crazy fucking year. Yeah, no one no one would have ever guessed Vince McMahon would be out this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it, it, and possibly back once again. Yes. Um, Sasha Banks, Sasha Naomi. Yes. (laughs) Left in the middle of Raw. And we had Michael Cole calling them unprofessional and like WWE, Uh like releasing uh, like a press release, like, you know, uh, you know, basically attacking their characters. And now they're begging for them back. 
I mean, holy crap, you, you want to talk about, like, comebacks of the year? We had Triple H, who was, like, out of commission due to, like, health issues. Um, like, return, like, this WrestleMania, leaving his boots in the ring, like, retiring from active, you know, competition. And then we heard, like, oh, well, you know, it seemed like he had NXT taken from him. You know, mm-hmm. probably because of their defeat at the hands of AEW in the ratings. Um, and it seemed like he was going to be doing less and less with WWE, you know, backstage. And then all of a sudden you turn around six months later and he's actually now like running the show creatively. Um, you know, it, it took Vince getting ousted, but still, uh, it it caused such a ripple effect, a huge like turnaround for WWE, at least in the fans' eyes and even the wrestlers' eyes, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it almost feels like WWE is like the place to be because, as always, like perceptions king, um, maybe the king of kings, if you will. Uh, but yeah, I mean, but who knows? Next week we may be singing a completely <laughs> different tune with the news that just broke today. Uh, so um. I don't know, it almost feels like we're diminishing the year by just talking about, like, the best matches and, you know, overall wrestlers. Um, just because, like, so many big, like, earth-shattering moments happened. But that's what we do here, right? Yeah, and at the same time, there's been an incredible amount of great wrestling this yes. year as well. Yes, I, a, Another moment I totally forgot, though, and it actually took place in the ring. Stone Cold Steve Austin fucking returned. <laughs> That's right. And he did return. <laughs> and that was like maybe the 10th biggest story like of the year. My God. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, you're right. Like th- we had tons of great matches this year, almost to the point where I feel like I'm being like desensitized. So, like, the amount of, like, quality <laughs> wrestling matches we're getting uh-huh. nowadays. Because I had to really go back and, like, pick my brain to, like, come up with my list. Um, Because, like, there were tons of matches that, at this point, like, I've totally forgotten about. Um, I had to, like, look up dates because I was like, did that take place this year? Mm-hmm. I mean, matches that just took place a couple months ago almost feel like they took place in another decade because so much is happening on a week to week basis. But anyway, let's go ahead and get into our list. Uh, what do you want to start with first, Christian? Do you want to do wrestler of the year first, or do you want to do match of the year first? That's a hard one because I feel like my matches of the year don't necessarily match up with my wrestlers of the year this time around. It happens sometimes. (laughs) I, I totally get it though. You know, and sometimes it's more about, like, the overall, like, quantity of great matches, mm-hmm. you know, instead of, like, just one, you know, big match. But, I mean, I get it. Um, why don't we do our match of the year list first, and then we'll do uh, wrestler of the year. All right. Uh, are we just alternating? Yeah, I figured. Okay. Um, And we're doing top five, right? Top five. Okay. I'm, Keep I'm, it to five, I'm doing honorable mentions, Christian. <laughs> Oh, I won't God. do any explanations on why those uh-huh. matches are there, but I, it was really <laughs> difficult to wheel uh-huh. it down to just five. Honorable mention wise, I have Tony versus Sheeta versus Britt versus Hater in that fatal four-way interim uh, women's title match. That's a damn good uh, match. 
I had the Elite versus the United Empire, and then I also had Hater versus Sheeta at Dynamite as well. Okay, so you did three. I, I just got five. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe mine's totally a top ten list. You know. Who cares? Uh, I've got Seamus versus uh, Gunther at uh, Clash of the Castle. Mm-hmm. Just a hard-hitting masterpiece. Uh, I've got Sheeta versus Jamie Hayter. Um, that just took place recently on Dynamite, I believe, like, just two weeks ago, right? Um, just one of the best women's matches I've seen in a long time. I've got mm-hmm. Cody versus Sammy in a ladder match for the TNT title. And that actually ended up being Cody's last match in AEW. And then I've got Bianca versus Becky at WrestleMania and MJF versus Punk in a dog collar match. So just five honorable mentions. No big deal. <laughs> All great matches, though. Yes, yes, I think so. <laughs> Not that I had anything to do with them, but I mean, <laughs> they're my picks. I mean, it was really hard. Like so many of these matches were in my top five at different points. Mm-hmm. So. Um, all right. Well, you start things off. What's your number five? For my number five, I have Brody King versus Darby Allen in a coffin match at Quake at the Lake. I actually totally forgot this match happened this year. And then I went back, as you said, looked for like what matches happened. And I totally remember just the brutality, not only of their feud, but this match alone and Darby getting his, you know, just do revenge, getting uh, Brody to perfectly land in that coffin. Just beautiful imagery oh you know what i was totally thinking of the first match that they had where brody Uh just dominated darby and like choked him out like they did he did that like hangman uh choke off the apron um you know that visual was just amazing uh yo this was a this was a great way to kind of end their feud and yeah i mean that spot with the coffin because usually AEW doesn't do great with props, but that exactly. spot with the coffin was perfect. <laughs> no, yeah, it was definitely hard to pick just one match between Brody and Darby this year. I mean, they had a bunch of great fights between the two of them. Now, quick disclaimer, we absolutely exist within the AEW bubble. It's oh, what yes. we you know cover mostly on this show so that will absolutely be reflected in our lists yeah so. you you could even call my list particularly just an aw best of yeah, so. i dabble a little more into wwe than you do uh-huh. but yeah pretty much my top five are all aw matches to no one's surprise <laughs> and maybe rightfully so <laughs> But uh, with that being said, uh, my number five pick was Wheeler versus Mox. Uh, It Mm. was uh, an accumulation of like a series of matches that took place that was all about like initiating Wheeler into the Blackpool Combat Club and like him proving himself worthy of being part of the group. Uh, It was an absolute like bloodbath filled with drama. I mean, the crowd like like became unglued and completely 100% behind Wheeler in this match. Um, You know, the Blackpool Combat Club really brought out a different side of his character um, that wasn't even like hinted at before. Because if you think about it, like before like this program started with Wheeler and the BCC, like he was just the best friend's sidekick. Um, mm. you know, with the ridiculous tights. Um, now he's walking around like a badass with these fucking bloodstained tights, and he feels like he truly belongs amongst 
these men. Just a great piece of storytelling. Absolutely. And I'm still looking for more from Wheeler in, you know, future storylines. Like I wanted to see them capitalize a little bit more after this. But, you know, at the same time, there is plenty of time and years for him. He's young. So, yeah, I mean, at this point, it feels like, you know, Tony is invested in like his development along with like Daniel Garcia, kind of in a similar fashion to how he was invested in like Sammy Guevara and, you know, Darby Allen a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, where he sees like a bright future bo- for both guys. Um, and yeah, like I, I, they both have been kind of like lost in the shuffle uh, of late. Um, but just on Rampage, like Wheeler had a great match against Swerve. Um, so, you know, he, he seems to be getting that spotlight here and there. It's just like sometimes he, you know, kind of gets lost in the background. Um, but I don't know. I, I've got a lot of faith that, you know, we'll see him get a big push you know eventually in the future because he is ultra talented and you could tell like they're even like trying to like make sure he gets plenty of reps on the mic like they're Mm -hmm. giving him more and more opportunities um and i i think for the most part he's doing a pretty damn good job all right well moving on to my number four i had cassidy versus will osprey at forbidden door i felt like this was one of uh orange cassidy's best performances since uh his triple threat match with Omega and Pac, you know, it's he's one of my favorite performers on the card, especially as like a more uh, that less serious wrestler that AEW is able to produce. And like, there's no better opponent for him than someone like the caliber of Pac. So that's why when we got to see him with Will Ospreay, of all people, they are, of course, able to deliver such as a fun match on the Forbidden Door card. And it actually, you know, was one of my favorite matches of that whole entire event. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really a matchup that I never even thought of. Exactly. Um, it's such a great, like, clash of styles. It's always fun watching, like, wrestlers react to Orange Cassidy and, like, all of his, like, his antics. And then, like, watching Orange, like, prove that he can hang with anyone. And that's yes. what really took place in this match once again. Um, I feel like of late, like, Orange is really on a great run with the Atlantic, All-Atlantic title, whatever the hell they call it. Um you know, I mean, all of his matches take place on Rampage. Like, he's kind of like the king of Rampage at this uh-huh. point. But, I mean, it's all been, like, quality stuff. And he's making that show, like, you know, must watch for me, at least. Yeah, unfortunately, I just haven't been watching Rampage as much just because of how they've been booking it the last, you know, few months. I think a lot of people, like, got out of the habit of watching the show because the the card's been so, like lackluster so i don't blame Mm. anyone for you know not watching it but they are starting to pick things back up again um you know so i I do recommend checking it out it's all still on the dvr so i can always catch it back up (laughs) all right so for me my number four pick was anarchy in the arena uh this match was pure unbridled chaos and i loved every fucking second of it I mean, there was so much going on in this match that it was hard to keep track of. I can't even imagine, like, being in the arena. But, like, Mm -hmm. seeing how everyone was reacting to things that was happening, like, obviously, you know, it worked, like, live also. Because (laughs) you just had, like, pockets of, like, insanity happening (laughs) throughout, like, the whole stadium. And, like... When they announced this match, I was like, oh, this just feels like a glorified street fight. But, like, it was so much more than that. It was so, like, 
well mapped out and planned, even though it looked like utter chaos, that the match just worked on so many different levels. I mean, like to start things off, like having the music play through like the first portion of the match uh-huh. <laughs> just gave it such a different energy. And like Justin Roberts on the mic, you know, announcing the match. I forgot what he said, but like <laughs> something like the shit's about to hit the fan or something like that. Uh-huh. And then like you cut to like Eddie Kingston, like walking down the fucking ramp, a bloody mess with a can of gasoline looking to light someone on fire. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, like Brian Danielson ended up getting hurt during the match. Um, mm-hmm. Like that's the one low lights. But like, I just wish this was almost like the accumulation of like the feud between uh, JAS and uh, the Blackpool Combat Club. But it was really like the start, if you think about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because at the time, like Jericho was feuding with Kingston more, and Kingston brought the Blackpool Combat Club in as like backup. And then eventually, like, the feud became more focused on Jericho and, you know, the combat club. And, like, that, like, whole narrative, like, took over. It just ended up going on and on for way too long. And I think part of the problem was was they were never able to achieve the high bar that this match set, like, afterwards. And if you think about it, they even had a blood and guts match. And it just paled in comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hopefully this becomes, I don't necessarily need it to be like an annual like event, but like a match that like Tony has like in his back pocket that he can pull out for like the bigger like faction feuds once in a while. Um, cause I would love to see another match like this again, play out, you know, in AEW. Exactly. Like this is my number three and it was just a match that had my jaw on the floor from start to finish. I mean, it, I I could not understand how they were just getting away with half the shit they were doing also at the same time. And the fact that they're like beating the hell out of each other to an inch of their lives in front of like small children. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. You know? <laughs> this is the best thing ever. <laughs> it was. It literally was. Uh-huh. And it, you're right, though. Like, look at all these traumatized children. <laughs> <laughs> that kid's got Matt Menard's blood on him. <laughs> You remember that dude was like bleeding on everyone. Yes, everyone. <laughs> it was absolutely insane. I I I do agree. I don't know if they should be, you know, an annual thing whatsoever cuz I don't know if they're going to be able to reach this same level with just any feud like they have to find the right, it's, you know, opponents yeah, it's for. Yeah, it's got to it. be a feud that warrants it, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want like an anarchy in the arena like pay-per-view event or something like that. That's yes. you know, WWE does that where they bastardize <laughs> like their gimmick matches and mm. makes them like make them annual events and I feel like that kind of diminishes their importance and like how they should, you know, take place, which is like organically, you know, within the program. Um, so no, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. Really a, a once in a lifetime experience. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and cheat for my number three pick. Uh, I just have written down FTR versus the Briscoes. Uh, oh. <laughs> I'm just going to say the whole trilogy. Um, uh-huh. like I, and I really should, I mean, I should specify like the first match and the third match I thought were, you know, the best of the series. Um, you know, just styles wise, these two teams were meant to like feud against each other. And honestly, like it was a matchup that I didn't even think of before. 
Um, I'm sad that it wasn't able to take place like at all on AEW TV, um, just because of, you know, some horrible things that, you know, one of the Briscoes said in the past, even though apparently like TBS is like quick to forgive Dana White for his issues this past week. And they're still going to give him a TV show where he's the host. Um, but I guess the, they're holding the Briscoes to a higher standard. Uh, and don't get me wrong, like what the Briscoes did was, you know, pretty awful too. And I think it was just one of the brothers. Um, but I mean, he's since then like come out and apologize. And he also has like tons of wrestlers like vouching for him and his character now. Um, so I don't know. It just feels so like hypocritical of, you know, you know, TBS, but it is what it is. Um, you're, you're misunderstanding the amount of money they're going to make from you yeah, know, the slap fighting. Apparently that <laughs> <laughs> just looks the most, like the most barbaric, like a <laughs> ridiculous show. I mean, uh-huh. I, like, and I watch wrestling like on a weekly basis. <laughs> I was like, it's just two people standing in front of each other, slapping each other. Like that's the show. <laughs> Yeah, wait till you get into uh, tool, toll booth wrestling. Oh, God, I can't even imagine. Or phone booth wrestling. Is I it wrestling say, yeah. or it's it's mixed martial arts, right? That- yeah, it's like fight. Like, it's two big dudes in a phone booth just beating each other. <laughs> okay, fine. That sounds more entertaining than a slap fight. Like, I don't True. know. I don't know. But anyway. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm done with my rant. Uh, yeah, but yeah, FTR versus the Briscoes. Probably the feud of the year, I want to say, um, which says a lot because they they couldn't do any real like storylines. If you think about it, like mm. on TV, it was like strictly between the ropes, but it, it worked so perfectly. As a wrestling fan, they gave me everything that I could possibly want, um, you know, in the ring. I mean, the lumps on Dax's head says it all, like after that dog collar match, just... <laughs> graphic shit like you know but i don't know you know maybe i'm the barbarian um (laughs) (laughs) uh but you know it was a lot more entertaining than two people just standing in front of each other slapping each other so Uh but that i mean the trilogy definitely had to rank high on my list well for my number two i have the acclaimed versus swerve in our glory in their first bout at all out uh which Honestly, should have been the one where it claimed one because the amount of pop they were getting from the crowd was insane that entire night. But then to have them go up against the likes of, you know, Keith Lee and um, Swerve, if you know, they're just two great wrestlers that could work with just about anyone in this company. And they really put on a great show for them. Obviously, the claims were over at the time, but I don't think anyone predicted just like how over they really were until they got in front of this like pay-per-view audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you remember, like at our prediction show, I mean, we were both kind of like, oh yeah, no, there's no way that, you know, Swerve to our glory should drop yeah. the belts, the acclaim. We dismissed it pretty yeah, quickly. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, you know, they'll move on. You know, this is kind of like, a, you know, a stop, at, you know, in the road for them. Um, and then like after this match, you're like, oh my God, like the acclaimed are just so over at this point that like, there's no way that, you know, Tony can't put the belts on them. It's just so eye-opening, like, how much the crowd was behind the acclaimed in this match. Like, to the point where when they lost, I did feel like it kind of took the air out of the building and deflated the crowd. 
um, and like the pay per view, like really struggle to like rebound afterwards. Um, yeah. But I I don't blame Tony for this one because I I honestly I don't think anyone saw like this coming. Um, not to like this degree, at least. Like, of course, the claim was over, but not because that's where we got all the chance too. Mm-hmm. You know, the the oh, scissor me, daddy, and all that. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was that was Chicago, right? Yeah, so, it, that was Chicago yeah. on the same night that CM Punk you know, wins the title, and it's crazy just how much that match still stood out compared to everything else. No, I absolutely agree, and. Now that you brought the match up, I totally want to put it in my list. <laughs> like, go back and wreck out my list, but it's too late, I guess. All right, so for my number two pick, I, I guess I kind of lied. I actually do have a WWE match uh, on my list, and it is Cody Rhodes versus Seth Rollins at the Hell in the Cell. Oh, um, yes. That bruised shoulder, just man. <laughs> not just his shoulder like the entire oh, right yes. side of his body <laughs> um just the audible gasp that came out of the crowd when cody took off his jacket like unveiling like his torn pack i don't think people were prepared with like how ghastly it was going to look uh. and like it took like a couple minutes for the crowd to get into the match because they were like, you could hear them like audibly like talking amongst themselves because they were so absolutely taken aback with what they're witnessing. Like it, it felt almost wrong. Like, should we be watching this? Should he be out there? <laughs> because it was just a visual that we rarely see in wrestling like the aftermath of one of these injuries and then for the match itself you know all they did was just some good old-fashioned storytelling and it was all centered around cody's injury um you know it looked grueling as all hell because it probably was like cody's always been great with his facials but like the way he was registering all the pain and you know as like seth worked over you know his you know body um felt real because once again it probably was (laughs) like it was harder to watch than some of the death matches i've seen you know in the past just because it felt so real um, you know, just, you know, amazing storytelling and just a gutsy performance by Cody. Um, and, you know, and it's just the kind of match years from now. I know I'll I'll always remember. Uh, so it, it had to be close to the top of my list. And now to start off our number ones, I have Hangman versus Brian Danielson at Winter is Coming, where I went to a 60 minute draw. And actually, uh, Chris, I'll stop you there. That's actually my number one, too. So oh, okay, perfect. We could just talk about it. <laughs> Both talk about it at the same time. Yeah, no, this was a classic. Um, but another match I had to go back and look at, you know, date-wise to see if it took place this year. Because oh, yeah. it feels like it took place, you know, in a different decade. 
Uh-huh. Just because yeah, if you told me it happened last year, I would have believed yeah, you. Right? Yeah, right? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> but it was in January, so it was a year ago. Um, but yeah, no, this was a classic. Um, it was something that I wasn't expecting to get out of Hangman. Not that he's not a high quality wrestler because he is. Um, but to see him be able to hang with, you know, Brian here in the fashion that he did was pretty fucking impressive. And it felt like the real announcement of his arrival, even though he had won the championship at that point. But at the time, it felt like he was really like setting the tone for his title run. Which, unfortunately, never really quite lived up to this match. Um, But that's a testament to the kind of wrestler Brian Danielson is also. Um, Exactly. And to think, like, a month prior, Brian Danielson was still kind of a face. And then he just switched over for this feud. To he only started doing all of those promos. Yeah, because that, Uh, right? Beating people. (laughs) His match against Omega was on our list last year, I believe, right? Uh Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was something that had to happen on the fly because of injuries. It's just really sad to think what could have been with Hangman's run. Um, It it just, for me, I I don't know. I feel like he kind of just got lost in the shuffle because of Mm -hmm. the influx of new talent that came into the company at the time. Um, Tony just wasn't focused enough on him. Because you remember, like... We'd go like weeks without Hangman like having a match or like being part of a big segment on the show. Like he was just kind of like in the background, even though he was the world champion. It was so odd. Um, and I don't know if like it was something where he was like injured or they weren't saying it. Like you never know with AAW. Yeah. But it was so be. bizarre. Hangman as your newly crowned champion was just an afterthought. Um, I'll never understand what happened there. But I mean, regardless, back to the match, I mean, watching Hangman go toe to toe with Brian and showing that he could really hang, no pun intended, with like the best in the world just, I mean, goes to show you like what a talent he really is and kind of like how underutilized he is. Because that match wasn't just all Brian. Hangman, you know, definitely carried his weight. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, Hangman's like, eventual second title win will be much bigger than what we got with this first and that's Mm. happened in the past with like some of the best wrestlers in the world i mean rick flair will tell you that like his first title reign like he just wasn't ready for it and it's really like his second title reign where you know he got the momentum and became the wrestler that he is you know that he was you know um and became the iconic wrestler that you know he became yeah, I just don't know when that's going to be, but he definitely deserves another title reign. I mean, he's just getting his steam back right now with his feud with Moxley and everything coming back from it. Yeah, I could see him having a, like a big program with MJF. Like if I was booking it, I think I would have Hangman be the one to dethrone MJF um, because he really is one of the faces of AEW and he's someone that I feel like people just don't talk enough about because mm-hmm. he's also incredibly young still <laughs> and so fucking talented. Like I, I feel like he hasn't hit his peak yet. Um, and when he eventually gets there, he's someone who could carry the company on his back. Yeah. I could totally see uh hangman versus MJF being, you know, even more impressive than what we got with him and punk 
you know, the the back and forth they could have. Yeah, I, you know, I and I feel like that's the kind of feud that could last years. So, mm. yeah, no, I, I think there's huge things in store for Hangman still. Oh, yeah, and Brian Danielson's really good. <laughs> yeah. Obviously. He's going to go on a fucking amazing tear over the next few weeks. Oh, it's yes, I'm, I'm super excited to see him, like, because what, he's got to win six matches in a row? Yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of people are complaining about that being, like, a tired trope for MJF. I fucking love that. Like, I love it when, you know, just the whole, like, gauntlet <laughs> format, like, you know, that whole gimmick. Like, give me that all the time. I like Because I like to see wrestling. Like, I'm not going to complain about seeing Brian Danielson wrestle week after week. Come on. That's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> Wait, what, his first match is against Takeshita? Yes. Right? Is that... Yes. Yeah, it's like. Because <laughs> you know they're all going to be fucking bangers. Like, uh-huh. you know. Like, I don't imagine you're going to get any more, like, Brian versus Tony Nieces. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to be a story of MGF, like really putting Brian through the ringer. And I don't know if MGF is storyline wise, like picking his opponents. I don't think that's supposed to be the case. Um, I was a little confused on that. It sounded like that was going to be the was, case, but I wouldn't feel like he would pick someone like to catch no, to no. go up against him. I so. do think it's going to like I could see it where Brian ends up having to go through the firm, though. Like maybe like he ends up going up against like Bill, uh, Big Bill or something like that at the end. Um, and they have history. If you think about it, that was like one of Brian's first like not good history. I didn't say good history, but it was one of Brian's first feuds after he came back out of retirement. I guess I would just hope that. Big Bill doesn't get defeated before like someone like Hook could defeat him since they're in a feud right well, now. He's got six weeks, right? So yeah. <laughs> so funny that we were talking about like there's no way they're gonna make it last to the pay per view, and here they are. Yeah, they'll stretch it out. <laughs> this is how they do it. Uh-huh. But I mean, that's a product of you know only having four pay per views a year. So yes. I mean, that booking might be a little too close to what you know MJF did with like the Pinnacle, but. I don't know. I'm still here for it regardless. <laughs> as long as I get awesome matches, I, I really, you know, the story is kind of secondary to me when it comes to a wrestler like Brian Danielson. All right. Well, that was our top five or maybe kind of 10-ish uh, <laughs> uh, matches of the year. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to our top wrestlers of the year. And I, I cheated once again. I have 10. Oh, but yeah. I'll just, you know, do honorable mentions. <laughs> They'll just, you know, there just happen to be five of them. So whatever. So my five honorable mentions are MJF, Bianca Belair, Tony Storm, Roman Reigns, and Hangman. Now, some people might bristle at the fact that I have Roman Reigns in my honorable mentions. <laughs> but honestly, I don't watch WWE much. And he doesn't wrestle much. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm kind of looking at my top wrestlers as like an overall thing. But like in ring matters to me. And the fact that the dude hasn't been in the ring, that takes him down a few spots, at least in my book. Um, for some of my honorable mentions, I wanted to say Willow uh, has had a great year. And then Serena Deeb, I think, doesn't get mentioned enough. She has had a fantastic you know, time being that kind of like secondary heel, but also really getting over other talent throughout the entire year. Um, and then, yes, of course, Tony Storm had a fantastic run with the title. And I feel like that doesn't it's I wish it had been, you know, without that interim title thing on it the entire time. But no, I agree. I really think she deserves a lot of credit for getting AW's women's division back on the right like path. 
Um, because if you think about it, like she was having quality match after quality match every week, really just, I don't know, reshaping people's like perception of, you know, the division as a whole. Absolutely. But to uh, get into our official lists, as you said, with Roman Reigns, I am kind of looking at this as an overall, you know, performances, not just what happened in the ring. So that's why my number five is MJF, who, while he did not have a ton of matches, put on some of the best promos and exchanges with other wrestlers and elevated other wrestlers while also pulling off being a heel throughout the entire year, at least when he was on. Stream. I mean, like. On the mic, it's some of the best work I've ever seen. I mean, you think about the back and forths he had with Punk, the back and forths that he had with, like, Regal. Um, I mean, the real, like, roller coaster ride, like, he took the audience on um, this year um, to the point where, like, he almost, like, turned himself babyface. <laughs> um, I don't know. It, it is pretty impressive. But, like, once again... For me, at least, he just didn't have enough matches in the ring for me to justify putting him on the top five of my list. But he absolutely deserved an honorable mention. I'm hoping with his title reign now, we'll see him in the ring more um, than we've ever seen him before. Because I like, I mean, how many matches has he really had in AEW? Like, it should be pretty fucking easy to count. I, uh -huh. I feel like he doesn't have more than like 10 to 12 matches a year. Honestly, I mean, it's pretty impressive that a guy has been able to get himself over with such a hardcore wrestling fan base without really getting in the ring much. Yeah, I mean, I imagine at least he'll be on each special event, right? He's this year. He's got to be. I, I hope <laughs> <laughs> I could see it being a case where like Tony Khan invokes the old WCW rule where, you know, the champion has to defend his title at least once every 30 days where he'll be like contractually obligated to wrestle at least, you mm -hmm. know, every you know month. So uh, with my number five pick, I'm totally going to contradict myself. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go with someone who solely made my list based on his like out of the ring work. And that's Sami Zayn. Uh, Sami Zayn's been fantastic. <laughs> I mean, he's great in the ring, and he's had great matches, and he's uh -huh. definitely on the show weekly. So he's doing the work between the ropes, but, I mean, he's really making my list solely because of the storyline with him and the bloodline. I mean, it's honestly the only reason I watch SmackDown. So, uh -huh. I mean, the fact that I'm, like, watching this two-hour show just to see what Sammy does next... He deserves to be on my list, man. <laughs> There's no way I couldn't mention him. Um, he, for me at least, really like saved the bloodline angle. Um, while it started off like red hot, like it really kind of started to tread water after a while. Um, and that's all due to just horrible booking because they never really gave Roman a uh, opponent that you felt like was actually like viable you know like someone who could actually take the belt off of him um mm -hmm. but then you have sammy enter the picture and what he's been able to really pull off is this almost like lovable loser storyline where you've got this like outcast trying to like hang out with the cool kids and at first you weren't sure if it was because of you know you know alternative motives uh, which i'm sure that's kind of how like the program started but then 
it actually started to feel sincere and you start to like root for Sammy. <laughs> like the biggest pop I saw on WWE TV this year was Sammy getting his own like honorary Uso shirt. Like the crowd <laughs> went absolutely insane. Uh, it, like it was, it was a hell of a moment. <laughs> I was like, I don't know why this is working for me, but it's working for me. It's literally a dude <laughs> getting handed a T-shirt. Um, but and that, I mean, Roman deserves a lot of credit too for that. It's you know his performance has been great as kind of like the straight man to Sammy, uh, and the Usos deserve a lot because like Sammy had this weird like love hate relationship, I believe, with Jay, um, where like Jay was just refusing to accept him, and then like when that moment finally happened and sammy proved himself to him i mean it became like the biggest moment of the war games match somehow uh so which i mean is a good and bad thing so i, I don't know like sammy Zayn deserves a lot of credit you know for what he's been able to pull off um he's one of the most over wrestlers right now in wwe as this just lovable goof um you know, I can't wait to see like where the storyline heads uh, in the future. I think it's obvious that, you know, the bloodline's eventually going to turn on Sammy and, you know, we're going to get that like Joe Pesci Goodfellas moments. And, you know, I'm guessing we're going to see him like eventually get back with Kevin Owens and take on the bloodline together, which will be another big moment for WWE. So, I mean, yeah, no, Sammy definitely deserves to be on my list. You're wrong, Damon. Sammy is going to become the universal champion uh, by next year. You know what? I wouldn't be mad at it, Christian. Like if Sammy (laughs) is the guy to dethrone Roman after, what, a three-year reign? Yes. (laughs) some amazing storytelling. For my number four, I have the acclaimed. uh, Just the amount that they've been able to not only capture the audiences, but also, you know, pull off these fantastic tag matches in the ring. Um, You know, they've been given FTR a run for their money this year as a tag team, and it's been pretty awesome to watch um absolutely enjoy everything that we're getting you know inside the ring and outside with like max caster's raps you know the way that they're able to tear down their opponents the segments um everything they got billy gunn you know over on a new level uh, (laughs) than he's ever been in his career no it's weird because i would never guess that a team that's like so focused kind of on like the sports entertainment side of things to be able to like get over to the degree that they are with like AEW's fan base. Um, but they have. I mean, they remind me a lot of like the New Age Outlaws, funny enough. Um, you know, where it really wasn't about, you know, the ring work, even though I feel like, you know, both of them, you know, are 10 times better wrestlers than uh, the yes. New Age Outlaws. Well, I mean, Road Dog at least. Billy was a good worker. Um, you mean Road Dog's better than just about uh, everyone? Well, according to him, yes. He's better than <laughs> Bret Hart, right? Um, but no, I mean, this is kind of like the anti, like, AEW tag team, if you think about it. Um, mm. You know, this is the crowd that, like, worships at the feet of, like, FTR and the Young Bucks. But, like, the acclaim have really, like, captured their hearts. So, I mean, they deserve tons of credit. But uh, speaking of sports entertainers, uh, my number four pick is none other than Chris Jericho. 
Um, he's someone who I feel like people just take for granted. Um, and people aren't really recognizing what he's pulling off. Like this guy is in his fucking fifties and he's out yeah. there and like having a career year in the ring. Like he's hanging with like these like generational talents, um, you know, week after week, him and Moxley both like really put the company on their shoulders and, you know, saved it when they were in like crisis mode. Um, yes, his storylines maybe last too long. And yes, maybe he's overexposed on AEW TV, but there's a reason for that. You know, he really does like bring the company to another level and he's still putting on amazing matches like in the ring, you know, every time he's out there. Uh, if you look back on the year, so many of like AEW's biggest moments revolve around Jericho uh, and our storylines that, you know, he put together. So I don't know, like I, I understand why people get tired of Jericho, but I think once he's not there, like people will really start to understand like how much he's meant to the company. I mean, you think about all like the giant, like, you know, gimmick matches that AEW's had, like Jericho's really at the center of the of all of them. Mm -hmm. Like the stadium stampedes, the uh, uh anarchy in the arenas, the the blood and guts match. But those are all Jericho staples at this point. Um so I mean the dude just deserves a lot of credit. Long live the Ocho, baby. And like I mean he got that stupid shit over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So the, how many gimmicks did he have this year? He was the wizard to the point where, like, you know, in the corner, like, you know, ten count, like, punch spot, they're screaming out Ocho. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Give me a break. Uh, for my number three, I have the Dax Hardwood of FTR. While I do enjoy both members of FTR, yeah, um, I have been pretty damn impressed by Dax Hardwood, even on a singles level. I mean, he's had incredible matches to the point where i was like fuck man give him a singles title at this point because yeah. he's just that talented um, and dax is actually my number three also so i know okay. i 100 agree dax has really had like a breakout year even though everyone knew that he was an amazing like you know mm -hmm. tag team wrestler i don't think people really saw a singles run like this out of him um but like he's gone up against some of the best you know wrestlers in the world and has really like proven himself and you know what he's he's pretty fucking awesome on the mic also so i mean ftr's rise this year um as one of the top like baby faces in the company has been pretty impressive and something i didn't see coming um because there's not many like wrestlers or tag teams that get the kind of pop that they do when they come out, you know, on dynamite week after week. Um, so I hope to God they resign with AEW. <laughs> It'll be a huge loss for, you know, for yes. the company if they lose them. Um, but I know they'll move on and they'll make whatever company they do join better. Um, so at least there's that. And, I mean, you've got to respect the man's mustache. I mean, it's one of the best mustaches oh, yeah. going today. So Absolutely. it just, I don't know. 
<laughs> like you couldn't draw the thing on better. Um, but yeah, no, he's he's amazing. He's a fantastic wrestler. Must be using some of Manscaped's like perfect products. Probably you know? Christian. Probably. I don't know if they're a sponsor this week. So <laughs> <laughs> I might make you edit that out. We'll see. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, we love Manscaped. All right. Well, for my number two, I have Brian Danielson. Uh, my number two is also Brian Danielson. So. <laughs> fucking perfect. <laughs> Which I have a feeling then our number one is probably the same also. Uh, but uh, let's likely. talk about Brian Danielson. <laughs> well, Danielson has just been that player that can put himself in just about any match and get every single person over every single time. Whether he's winning or losing, your opponent's always going to look good and he's always going to look good at the end of the day. And he's kicking everyone's fucking face in and making it look fun as fuck. So, <laughs> Yes, and that's why this is my favorite version of Brian Danielson. Uh-huh. Um, you know, like he's got a bloodlust almost. <laughs> like he's there to inflict pain. And this is a character that we would never see like on WWE TV. Like we'd never exactly. see this version of, you know, Brian on WWE TV. So the fact that, you know, he's able to like live his best life in AW, I mean, you could just tell like how much fun he's having week mm-hmm. after week in the ring. Um I definitely want to see him more focused on, you know, this coming year. Uh and things are starting off the right way with him being in like the main event picture. But I know, like, if it was up to Brian, he would just be putting over, like, the Tony Nieces in the world. Um, yes. But, like, but I mean, I don't think AEW can afford not having Brian Danielson part of the main event picture. Um, because he's that high caliber of a talent, and he's someone that fans want to see. So, hopefully, you know, he stays in the spotlight more than not uh, for the company. Um you know, and you think about like he's had so many quality like matches with our match of the year list. I probably could have put like two or three more of Brian's matches on my list, but I just didn't want it to Absolutely. be like the Brian Danielson show. And it's crazy to think like he was out for three months, you know, with with his uh, head injury. So, I yeah. mean, <laughs> he was gone for a little while there and he still managed to rank this high. Just because, like, every time he was in the ring, he made it count. I mean, to go back to what you said about his WWE run, I mean, if you go back earlier episodes of the podcast, you remember I thought he was getting pretty stale at a certain point. Like, I was getting very bored with Brian's character. And then when he came here and he just became this new ass kicker, I, I, I'm i absolutely in love with this version of Brian. I'm happy to see him raise so high on my rankings as well. But that moves us to number one, which I say is John Moxley. Do you agree? I agree a hundred percent. John Moxley <laughs> is my top wrestler of the year. Um, I mean, simply put, like he's been AEW's MVP. Um, when everything went down with Punk, Moxley was supposed to go on like a month long vacation, and you know he canceled it and really just put the company on his back. And this is after he did pretty much the same thing when punk went down with an injury like Mm -hmm. you know a a couple months before that (laughs) so i mean all of his matches i mean talk about brutal style i mean all of his matches feel real because of the style he wrestles i know it's become a bit of a joke that like moxley will bleed when the wind blows right but I mean, I love that about his matches because it just brings such a grittiness 
And, you know, like I said, once again, like this, like real quality, you know, to everything he does, Um, you know, and he does a great job of putting talent over, you know, at the same time, like he doesn't just like dominate everyone he's in the ring with, you know, even though like as a character, you could see that happening, like he makes sure to make everyone around him better. I mean, look what he just did with Top Flight. Like that whole program, like like little TV program they did, like really elevated that team and reminded everyone how good they are. And that's all due to Moxley's selflessness in the ring. And we haven't even like touched on his mic skills because like if you ask me, like he's one of the best in the business. Uh, There's something Mm -hmm. about a Moxley promo that like, you know, always tells a story like he never lies. He's always honest about what he's about to do. Half the time he calls his shots like he'll tell you exactly how the match is going to end. <laughs> and then it happens. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's just that like badass that like everyone can really like root for and get behind. Uh, but at the same token, like I can't wait to see him like as a heel. And if you think about it, like the guy went through some like personal issues this year and was able to rebound and like carry this company. And, you know, by all accounts, like he's a a general in the ring and, you know, a locker room leader outside of it. So, I mean, I don't know, man, I can't say enough about Mox. No. Yeah. God bless him for sticking around and helping keep this company afloat. I mean, that's. That that was impressive alone, but the fact that he's able to do everything that you just said with, you know, not not only being able to be the badass that he is, but also elevate other talent at the same time without losing any of that, like, mystique either yeah. of being that kind of character. And it's just because um, he's so believable. Exactly. It, you get so immersed in every story he's telling because it, it feels as real as possible. Mm. And even when there's, like, flubs in the company he's able to work around every little thing like just this last week with the yes. fucking microphone you know he that he pulled it into his character it's still all he worked. thank god that was moxley that happened to because yes. i don't think many other wrestlers would be able to recover the way he did so yeah i mean i do hope he gets that vacation soon <laughs> you know he deserves it but i think i'm glad he's still I around think it was supposed to be like a nine week vacation it was something crazy too and then he just put it on the back burner all in the yep. name of you know <laughs> you know, helping out, you know, the companies. So, I mean, that, that yep. got his wife a job too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think his wife got herself a job. <laughs> Give her Fair some enough. credit. Yes. Jesus Christ. <laughs> she is a, a, an amazing journalist. Journalist. I mean, <laughs> sure. Just like me and Gene uh-huh. was a wrestling journalist. Okay. <laughs> Just like how I'm a gaming journalist. Sure you, you are, know. Christian. <laughs> no. <Nah-ha. laughs> The term is commentator, not journalist. (laughs) But anyway, that's going to do it for our 2022 year in review. Join us next week as we get back on track and talk the latest episode of AEW Dynamite. Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five-star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by TheAmazingNerdShow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some Nerd Show swag, you can head over to TeePublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional Nerd Show swag as long as you live in the United States. 
Well, all right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? Well, join us next week as we preview 2023 by counting down our most anticipated films and series. Plus, we'll discuss the latest in nerd news and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Can I help you? You caused an incursion, and we're going to fix it. Unless you're afraid. New threats detected. ANS 6.0 update installing.